Chapters thirty two through thirty four of Mike. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Mike, a public school story by P. G. Woodhouse. Chapter thirty two. Smith. Jackson, said Mike. Are you the bully, the pride of the school, or the boy who is led astray and takes to drink in chapter 16? The last for choice, said Mike, but I've only just arrived, so I don't know. The boy, what will he become? Are you new here too, then? Yes. Why, are you new? Do I look as if I belonged here? I'm the latest import. Sit down on yonder settee, and I will tell you the painful story of my life. By the way, before I start, there's just one thing. If you ever have occasion to write to me, would you mind sticking a P at the beginning of my name? P-S-M-I-T-H. See? There are too many Smiths, and I don't care for Smythe. My father's content to worry along in the old-fashioned way, but I've decided to strike out a fresh line. I shall found a new dynasty. The resolve came to me unexpectedly this morning as I was buying a simple penneth of butterscotch out of the automatic machine at Paddington. I jotted it down on the back of an envelope. In conversation you may address me as Rupert, though I hope you won't, or simply Smith, the P not being sounded. C.P. the name Bisco, in which the Z is given a similar miss in balk. See? Mike said he saw. Smith thanked him with a certain stately old-world courtesy. "'Let us start at the beginning,' he resumed. "'My infancy. When I was but a babe, my eldest sister was bribed with a shilling an hour by my nurse to keep an eye on me and see that I did not raise cane. At the end of the first day she struck for one in six, and got it. We now passed to my boyhood. At an early age I was sent to Eton, everybody predicting a bright career for me. But—' said Smith solemnly, fixing an owl-like gaze on Mike through the eyeglass. It was not to be. No, said Mike. No, I was superannuated last term. Bad luck. For Eton, yes, but what Eton loses, Sedley gains. But why Sedley, of all places? This is the most painful part of my narrative— it seems that a certain scug in the next village to ours happened last year to collar a balliol. "'Not Barlet!' exclaimed Mike. "'That was the man, the son of the vicar. The vicar told the curate, who told our curate, who told our vicar, who told my father, who sent me off here to get a balliol, too. Do you know Barlet?' "'His pater's vicar of our village. It was because his son got a balliol that I was sent here.' "'Do you come from Crofton?' "'Yes.' "'I've lived at Lower Benford all my life. "'We are practically long-lost brothers. "'Cheer a little, will you?' "'Mike felt as Robinson Crusoe felt when he met Friday. "'Here was a fellow human being in this desert place. "'He could almost have embraced Smith. "'The very sound of the name Lower Benford was heartening. "'His dislike for his new school was not diminished.' but now he felt that life there might at least be tolerable. "'Where were you before you came here?' asked Smith. "'You have heard my painful story. Now tell me yours.' "'Rickon. My patter took me away because I got such a lot of bad reports.' "'My reports from Eton were simply scurrilous. There's a libel action in every sentence. 
How do you like this place from what you've seen of it? Rotten. I am with you, Comrade Jackson. You won't mind my calling you Comrade, will you? I've just become a socialist. It's a great scheme. You ought to be one. You work for the equal distribution of property, and start by collaring all you can and sitting on it. We must stick together. We are companions in misfortune, lost lambs, sheep that have gone astray. Divided we fall, together we may worry through. Have you seen Professor Radium yet? I should say Mr. Outwood. What do you think of him? He doesn't seem a bad sort of chap. Bit off his nut, jawed about apses and things. And thereby, said Smith, hangs a tail. I've been making inquiries of a stout sportsman in a sort of Salvation Army uniform, whom I met in the grounds. He's the school sergeant or something, quite a solid man. And I hear that Comrade Outwood's an archaeological cove. Goes about the country beating up old ruins and fossils and things. There's an archaeological society in the school run by him. It goes out on half-holidays, prowling about, and is allowed to break bounds and generally steep itself to the eyebrows in reckless devilry. And mark you, laddie, if you belong to the archaeological society, you get off cricket. To get off cricket, said Smith, dusting his right trouser leg, was the dream of my youth and the aspiration of my riper years. A noble game, but a bit too thick for me. At Eton I used to have to field out of the nets till the soles of my boots wore through. I suppose you are a blood at the game. Play for the school against Loamshire and so on. I'm not going to play here at any rate, said Mike. He had made up his mind on this point in the train. There is a certain fascination about making the very worst of a bad job. Achilles knew his business when he sat in his tent. The determination not to play cricket for Sedley, as he could not play for Rickon, gave Mike a sort of pleasure. To stand by with folded arms and a sombre frown, as it were, was one way of treating the situation, and one not without its meed of comfort. Smith approved the resolve. "'Stout fellow,' he said, "'tis well. You and I, hand in hand, will search the countryside for ruined abbeys. We will snare the elusive fossil together. Above all, we will go out of bounds. We shall thus improve our minds and have a jolly good time as well.' I shouldn't wonder if one mightn't borrow a gun from some friendly native and do a bit of rabbit shooting here and there. From what I saw of Comrade Outwood during our brief interview, I shouldn't think he was one of the lynx-eyed contingent. With tact, we ought to be able to slip away from the merry throng of fossil chasers and do a bit on our own account. Good idea, said Mike. We will. A chap at Rickon called Wyatt used to break out at night and shoot at cats with an air pistol. It would take a lot to make me do that. I am all against anything that interferes with my sleep. But rabbits in the daytime is a scheme. We'll nose about for a gun at the earliest op. Meanwhile, we'd better go to Comrade Outwood and get our names shoved down for the society. I vote we get some tea first somewhere. Then let's beat up a study. I suppose they have studies here. Let's go and look. They went upstairs. On the first floor there was a passage with doors on either side. Smith opened the first of these. "'This'll do us well,' he said. It was a biggish room, looking out over the school grounds. There were a couple of deal tables, two empty bookcases, and a looking-glass hung on a nail. "'Might have been made for us,' said Smith approvingly. "'I suppose it belongs to some rotter.' "'Not now.' "'You aren't going to collar it?' 
"'That,' said Smith, looking at himself earnestly in the mirror and straightening his tie, "'is the exact programme. We must stake out our claims. This is practical socialism.' "'But the real owner's bound to turn up some time or other.' His misfortune, not ours. You can't expect two masterminds like us to pig it in that room downstairs. There are moments when one wants to be alone. It is imperative that we have a place to retire to after a fatiguing day. And now, if you want to be really useful, come and help me fetch up my box from downstairs. It's got an etna and various things in it. Chapter 33 Staking Out a Claim Smith, in the matter of decorating a study and preparing tea in it, was rather a critic than an executant. He was full of ideas, but he preferred to allow Mike to carry them out. It was he who suggested that the wooden bar which ran across the window was unnecessary, but it was Mike who wrenched it from its place. Similarly, it was Mike who abstracted the key from the door of the next study, though the idea was Smith's. "'Privacy,' said Smith, as he watched Mike light the Etna, "'is what we chiefly need in this age of publicity. "'If you leave a study door unlocked in these strenuous times, "'the first thing you know is somebody comes right in, "'sits down, and begins to talk about himself. "'I think with a little care we ought to be able to make this room "'quite decently comfortable. "'That putrid calendar must come down, though. "'Do you think you could make a long arm "'and haul it off the parent tin-tack? "'Thanks.' "'We make progress. We make progress.' "'We shall jolly well make it out of the window,' said Mike, "'spooning up tea from a paper bag with a postcard. "'If a sort of young Hackenschmidt turns up and claims the study, "'what are you going to do about it?' "'Don't let us worry about it. "'I have a presentiment that he will be an insignificant-looking little weed. "'How are you getting on with the evening meal?' "'Just ready.' "'What would you give to be at Eton now? "'I'd give something to be at Ricken.' "'These school reports,' said Smith, sympathetically, "'are the very dickens. "'Many a bright young lad has been soured by them. "'Hello. What's this, I wonder?' "'A heavy body had plunged against the door, "'evidently without a suspicion that there would be any resistance. "'A rattling at the handle followed, "'and a voice outside said, "'Dash the door! Hackenschmidt!' said Mike. "'The weed,' said Smith. "'You couldn't make a long arm, could you, and turn the key? We had better give this merchant audience. Remind me later to go on with my remarks on school reports. I had several bright things to say on the subject.' Mike unlocked the door and flung it open. Framed in the entrance was a smallish freckled boy, wearing a bowler hat and carrying a bag. On his face was an expression of mingled wrath and astonishment.' Smith rose courteously from his chair and moved forward with slow stateliness to do the honours. "'What the dickens?' inquired the newcomer. "'Are you doing here?' "'We were having a little tea,' said Smith, to restore our tissues after our journey. "'Come in and join us. We keep open house, we Smiths. Let me introduce you to Comrade Jackson, a stout fellow. Homely in appearance, perhaps, but one of us. I am Smith.' "'Your own name will doubtless come up in the course of general chit-chat over the teacups. "'My name's Spiller, and this is my study.' "'Smith leaned against the mantelpiece, put up his eyeglass, "'and harangued Spiller in a philosophical vein. "'Of all sad words of tongue or pen,' said he, "'the saddest are these. It might have been. 
Too late, that is the bitter cry. If you had torn yourself from the bosom of the Spiller family by an earlier train, all might have been well. But no. Your father held your hand and said huskily, Edwin, don't leave us. Your mother clung to you weeping and said, Edwin, stay. Your sisters, I want to know what your sisters froze on to your knees like little octopuses or octopi and screamed, don't go, Edwin. And so, said Smith, deeply affected by his recital, you stayed on till the later train, and, on arrival, you find strange faces in the familiar room, a people that know not Spiller. Smith went to the table and cheered himself with a sip of tea. Spiller's sad case had moved him greatly. The victim of fate seemed in no way consoled. It's beastly cheek, that's what I call it. Are you new, chaps? "'The very latest thing,' said Smith. "'Well, it's beastly cheek.' Mike's outlook on life was of the solid practical order. He went straight to the root of the matter. "'What are you going to do about it?' he asked. Spiller evaded the question. "'It's beastly cheek,' he repeated. "'You can't go about the place bagging studies.' "'But we do,' said Smith. "'In this life, Comrade Spiller, we must be prepared for every emergency.' We must distinguish between the unusual and the impossible. It is unusual for people to go about the place bagging studies, so you have rashly ordered your life on the assumption that it is impossible. Error! Ah, Spiller, Spiller, let this be a lesson to you. Look here, I tell you what it— I was in a motor with a man once. I said to him, what would happen if you trod on that pedal thing instead of that other pedal thing? He said, I couldn't. One's the foot-brake, and the other's the accelerator. But suppose you did, I said. I wouldn't, he said. Now we'll let her rip. So he stamped on the accelerator, only it turned out to be the foot-brake after all, and we stopped dead and skidded into a ditch. The advice I give to every young man starting life is, never confuse the unusual and the impossible. Take the present case. If you had only realized the possibility of somebody some day collaring your study— you might have thought out dozens of sound schemes for dealing with the matter. As it is, you are unprepared. The thing comes on you as a surprise. The cry goes round. Spiller has been taken unawares. He cannot cope with the situation. Can't I? I'll— What are you going to do about it? said Mike. All I know is I'm going to have it. It was Simpson's last term, and Simpson's left, and I'm next on the house list. So, of course, it's my study. "'But what steps,' said Smith, "'are you going to take? "'Spiller, the man of logic, we know. "'But what of Spiller, the man of action? "'How do you intend to set about it? "'Force is useless. "'I was saying to Comrade Jackson before you came in "'that I didn't mind betting you were an insignificant-looking little weed, "'and you are an insignificant-looking little weed. "'We'll see what Outwood says about it. "'Not an unsound scheme. "'By no means a scaly project.' Comrade Jackson and myself were about to interview him upon another point. We may as well all go together. The trio made their way to the presence. Spiller, pink and determined, Mike, sullen, Smith, particularly debonair. He hummed lightly as he walked, and now and then pointed out to Spiller objects of interest by the wayside. Mr. Outwood received them with the motherly warmth which was evidently the leading characteristic of his normal manner. "'Ah, Spiller,' he said, "'and Smith and Jackson, "'I am glad to see that you have already made friends.' 
"'Spillers, sir,' said Smith, laying a hand patronizingly on the study claimer's shoulder, a proceeding violently resented by Spiller, "'is a character one cannot help but respect. His nature expands before one like some beautiful flower.' Mr. Outwood received this eulogy with rather a startled expression, and gazed at the object of the tribute in a surprised way. "'Er, quite so, Smith, quite so,' he said at last. "'I like to see boys in my house friendly towards one another.' "'There is no vice in Spiller,' pursued Smith earnestly. "'His heart is the heart of a little child.' "'Please, sir,' burst out this paragon of all the virtues, "'I—' "'But it was not entirely with regard to Spiller that I wished to speak to you, sir, if you were not too busy.' "'Not at all, Smith, not at all. Is there anything—' "'Please, sir,' began Spiller. "'I understand, sir,' said Smith, "'that there is an archaeological society in the school.' Mr. Outwood's eyes sparkled behind their pince-nez. It was a disappointment to him that so few boys seemed to wish to belong to his chosen band. Cricket and football— games that left him cold, appeared to be the main interest in their lives. It was but rarely that he could induce new boys to join. His colleague, Mr. Downing, who presided over the school fire brigade, never had any difficulty in finding support. Boys came readily at his call. Mr. Outwood pondered wistfully on this at times, not knowing that the fire brigade owed its support to the fact that it provided its light-hearted members with perfectly unparalleled opportunities for ragging, while his own band, though small, were in the main earnest. "'Yes, Smith,' he said, "'yes, we have a small archaeological society. I, er, in a measure, look after it. Perhaps you would care to become a member?' "'Please, sir,' said Spiller. "'One moment, Spiller. Do you want to join, Smith?' "'Intensely, sir. Archaeology fascinates me. A grand pursuit, sir.' "'Undoubtedly, Smith. I am very pleased, very pleased indeed. I will put down your name at once.' "'And Jackson's, sir.' "'Jackson's, too?' Mr. Outwood beamed. "'I am delighted, most delighted. This is capital. This enthusiasm is most capital.' "'Spiller, sir,' said Smith sadly, "'I have been unable to induce to join.' "'Oh, he is one of our oldest members.' "'Ah,' said Smith tolerantly, "'that accounts for it.' "'Please, sir,' said Spiller. "'One moment, Spiller. "'We shall have the first outing of the term on Saturday. "'We intend to inspect the Roman camp at Embury Hill, two miles from the school. "'We shall be there, sir.' "'Capital.' "'Please, sir,' said Spiller. "'One moment, Spiller,' said Smith. "'There is just one other matter, if you could spare the time, sir.' "'Certainly, Smith. What is that?' "'Would there be any objection to Jackson and myself taking Simpson's old study?' "'By all means, Smith. A very good idea.' "'Yes, sir. It would give us a place where we could work quietly in the evenings.' "'Quite so. Quite so.' "'Thank you very much, sir. We will move our things in.' "'Thank you very much, sir,' said Mike. "'Please, sir,' shouted Spiller. "'Aren't I to have it? I'm next on the list, sir.' "'I come next after Simpson. Can't I have it?' "'I'm afraid I have already promised it to Smith, Spiller. "'You should have spoken before. "'But, sir—' "'Smith eyed the speaker pityingly. "'This tendency to delay, Spiller,' he said, "'is your besetting fault. "'Correct it, Edwin. Fight against it.' "'He turned to Mr. Outwood. 
"'We should, of course, sir, always be glad to see Spiller in our study. "'He would always find a cheery welcome waiting there for him. "'There is no formality between ourselves and Spiller.' "'Quite so. An excellent arrangement, Smith. "'I like this spirit of comradeship in my house. "'Then you will be with us on Saturday?' "'On Saturday, sir.' "'All this sort of thing, Spiller,' said Smith, as they closed the door, "'is very, very trying for a man of culture. "'Look us up in our study one of these afternoons.'" CHAPTER Thirty Four, Guerrilla Warfare "'There are few pleasures,' said Smith, as he resumed his favourite position against the mantelpiece, and surveyed the commandeered study with the pride of a householder, "'keener to the reflective mind than sitting under one's own roof-tree.' This place would have been wasted on Spiller. He would not have appreciated it properly. Mike was finishing his tea. "'You're a jolly useful chap to have by you in a crisis, Smith,' he said with approval. "'We ought to have known each other before.' "'The loss was mine,' said Smith courteously. "'We will now, with your permission, face the future for a while. "'I suppose you realize that we are now, to a certain extent, up against it.' "'Spiller's hot Spanish blood is not going to sit tight and do nothing under a blow like this. "'What can he do? Outwood's given us the study.' "'What would you have done if somebody had bagged your study?' "'Made it jolly hot for them. So will Comrade Spiller. "'I take it that he will collect a gang and make an offensive movement against us directly he can. "'To all appearances we are in a fairly tight place.' It all depends on how big Comrade Spiller's gang will be. I don't like rows, but I'm prepared to take on a reasonable number of bravos in defense of the home. Mike intimated that he was with him on the point. The difficulty is, though, he said, about when we leave this room. I mean, we're all right while we stick here, but we can't stay all night. That's just what I was about to point out when you put it with such admirable clearness. Here we are in a stronghold. They can only get at us through the door, and we can lock that, and jam a chair against it. And, as you rightly remark, jam a chair against it. But what of the nightfall? What of the time when we retire to our dormitory? Or dormitories? I say, if we're in separate rooms, we shall be in the cart. Smith eyed Mike with approval. He thinks of everything. You're the man, Comrade Jackson, to conduct an affair of this kind. Such foresight, such resource. We must see to this at once. If they put us in different rooms, we're done. We shall be destroyed singly in the watches of the night. We'd better nip down to the matron right off. Not the matron. Comrade Outwood is the man. We are as sons to him. There is nothing he can deny us. I'm afraid we are quite spoiling his afternoon by these interruptions, but we must rout him out once more. As they got up, the door-handle rattled again, and this time there followed a knocking. "'This must be an emissary of Comrade Spillers,' said Smith. "'Let us parley with the man.' Mike unlocked the door. A light-haired youth, with a cheerful, rather vacant face, and a receding chin, strolled into the room, and stood giggling with his hands in his pockets. "'I just came up to have a look at you,' he explained. "'If you move a little to the left,' said Smith, "'you will catch the light and shade effects on Jackson's face better.' The newcomer giggled with renewed vigour. "'Are you the chap with the eyeglass who jaws all the time?' "'I do wear an eyeglass,' said Smith. "'As to the rest of the description—' "'My name is Jellicoe.' "'Mine is Smith.' 
P-S-M-I-T-H, one of the Shropshire Smiths. The object on the skyline is Comrade Jackson. "'Old Spiller,' giggled Jellicoe, "'is cursing you like anything downstairs. "'You are chaps. "'Do you mean to say you simply bagged his study? "'He's making no end of a row about it.' "'Spiller's fiery nature is a byword,' said Smith. "'What's he going to do?' asked Mike, in his practical way. "'He's going to get the chaps to turn you out.' "'As I suspected,' sighed Smith, "'as one mourning over the frailty of human nature.' "'About how many horny-handed assistants should you say that he would be likely to bring? "'Will you, for instance, join the glad throng?' "'Me? No fear. I think Spiller's an ass. "'There's nothing like a common thought for binding people together. "'I think Spiller's an ass.' "'How many will there be, then?' asked Mike. "'He might get about half a dozen.' "'Not more, because most of the chaps don't see why they should sweat themselves "'just because Spiller's study has been bagged. "'Sturdy common sense,' said Smith approvingly, "'seems to be the chief virtue of the Sedley character.' "'We shall be able to tackle a crowd like that,' said Mike. "'The only thing is we must get into the same dormitory.' "'This is where Comrade Jellicoe's knowledge of the local geography will come in useful.' "'Do you happen to know of any snug little room with, say, about four beds in it? "'How many dormitories are there?' Five. There's one with three beds in it, only it belongs to three chaps.' "'I believe in the equal distribution of property. "'We will go to Comrade Outwood and stake out another claim.' "'Mr. Outwood received them even more beamingly than before. "'Yes, Smith,' he said. "'We must apologize for disturbing you, sir.' "'Not at all, Smith, not at all. "'I like the boys in my house to come to me "'when they wish for my advice or help. "'We were wondering, sir, if you would have any objection "'to Jackson, Jellicoe, and myself "'sharing the dormitory with the three beds in it. "'A very warm friendship,' explained Smith, "'patting the gurgling Jellicoe kindly on the shoulder, "'has sprung up between Jackson, Jellicoe, and myself. "'You make friends easily, Smith. "'I like to see it. I like to see it. "'And we can have the room, sir?' "'Certainly. Certainly. Tell the matron as you go down.' "'And now,' said Smith, as they returned to the study, "'we may say that we are in a fairly winning position. "'A vote of thanks to Comrade Jellicoe for his valuable assistance.' "'You are a chap,' said Jellicoe. "'The handle began to revolve again.' "'That door,' said Smith, "'is getting a perfect incubus. "'It cuts into one's leisure cruelly.' "'This time it was a small boy. "'They told me to come up and tell you to come down,' he said. "'Smith looked at him searchingly through his eyeglass. "'Who?' "'The senior day-room chaps.' "'Spiller?' "'Spiller and Robinson and Stone and some other chaps. "'They want us to speak to them? "'They told me to come up and tell you to come down.' "'Go and give Comrade Spiller our compliments, and say that we can't come down, but shall be delighted to see him up here. "'Things,' he said as the messenger departed, "'are beginning to move. Better leave the door open. I think it will save trouble. "'Ah, come in, Comrade Spiller. What can we do for you?' Spiller advanced into the study. The others waited outside, crowding in the doorway. "'Look here,' said Spiller. "'Are you going to clear out of here or not?' "'After Mr. Outwood's kindly thought in giving us the room, "'you suggest a black and ungrateful action, Comrade Spiller.' 
"'You'll get it hot if you don't.' "'We'll risk it,' said Mike. Jellicoe giggled in the background. The drama in the atmosphere appealed to him. His was a simple and appreciative mind. "'Come on, you chaps!' cried Spiller suddenly. There was an inward rush on the enemy's part, but Mike had been watching. He grabbed Spiller by the shoulders and ran him back against the advancing crowd. For a moment the doorway was blocked. Then the weight and impetus of Mike and Spiller prevailed. The enemy gave back, and Mike, stepping into the room again, slammed the door and locked it. "'A neat piece of work,' said Smith approvingly, adjusting his tie at the looking-glass. "'The preliminaries may now be considered over. The first shot has been fired. The dogs of war are now loose.' A heavy body crashed against the door. "'They'll have it down,' said Jellicoe. "'We must act, Comrade Jackson. "'Might I trouble you just to turn that key quietly, "'and the handle, and then to stand by for the next attack?' "'There was a scrambling of feet in the passage outside, "'and then a repetition of the onslaught on the door. "'This time, however, the door, instead of resisting, "'swung open, and the human battering-ram "'staggered through into the study. "'Mike, turning after relocking the door, was just in time to see Smith, with a display of energy of which one would not have believed him capable, grip the invader scientifically by an arm and a leg. Mike jumped to help, but it was needless. The captive was already on the window-sill. As Mike arrived, Smith dropped him onto the flower-bed below. Smith closed the window gently and turned to Jellicoe. "'Who was our guest?' he asked, dusting the knees of his trousers where they had pressed against the wall. "'Robinson. I say, you are a chap.' "'Robinson, was it? Well, we are always glad to see Comrade Robinson, always. I wonder if anybody else is thinking of calling.' Apparently frontal attack had been abandoned. Whisperings could be heard in the corridor. Somebody hammered on the door. "'Yes?' called Smith patiently. "'You'd better come out, you know. You'll only get it hotter if you don't.' "'Leave us, Spiller. We would be alone.' A bell rang in the distance. "'Tea,' said Jellicoe. "'We shall have to go now.' "'They won't do anything till after tea, I shouldn't think,' said Mike. "'There's no harm in going out.' The passage was empty when they opened the door. The call to food was, evidently, a thing not to be treated lightly by the enemy. In the dining-room the beleaguered garrison were the object of general attention. Everybody turned to look at them as they came in. It was plain that the study episode had been a topic of conversation. Spiller's face was crimson, and Robinson's coat-sleeve still bore traces of garden mould. Mike felt rather conscious of the eyes, but Smith was in his element. His demeanour throughout the meal was that of some whimsical monarch, condescending for a freak to revel with his humble subjects. Towards the end of the meal, Smith scribbled a note and passed it to Mike. It read, Directly this is over, nip upstairs as quickly as you can. Mike followed the advice. They were first out of the room. When they had been in the study a few moments, Jellicoe knocked at the door. Lucky you two cut away so quick, he said. They were going to try and get you into the senior day room and scrag you there. This, said Smith, leaning against the mantelpiece, is exciting, but it can't go on. 
"'We have got for our sins to be in this place for a whole term, "'and if we are going to do the hunted fawn business all the time, "'life in the true sense of the word will become an impossibility. "'My nerves are so delicately attuned "'that the strain would simply reduce them to hash. "'We are not prepared to carry on a long campaign. "'The thing must be settled at once.' "'Shall we go down to the senior day-room and have it out?' said Mike. "'No. We will play the fixture on our own ground. "'I think we may take it as tolerably certain that Comrade Spiller and his hired ruffians "'will try to corner us in the dormitory to-night. "'Well, of course, we could fake up some sort of barricade for the door, "'but then we should have all the trouble over again to-morrow and the day after that. "'Personally, I don't propose to be chivied about indefinitely like this.' "'So I propose that we let them come into the dormitory and see what happens. "'Is this meeting with me?' "'I think that's sound,' said Mike. "'We needn't drag Jellicoe into it.' "'As a matter of fact, if you don't mind,' began that man of peace. "'Quite right,' said Smith. "'This is not Comrade Jellicoe's scene at all. "'He has got to spend the term in the senior day-room, "'whereas we have our little wooden chalet to retire to in times of stress. "'Comrade Jellicoe must stand out of the game altogether.' We shall be glad of his moral support, but otherwise ne pas. And now, as there won't be anything doing till bedtime, I think I'll collar this table and write home and tell my people that all is well with their Rupert. End of section 12